You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Uh, oh, damn, now I have to come up with a reason. I mean, I mean there's lots of reasons. I, oh, oh. I mean, there's, there's so many good ones I could pick, but uh, never mind. I'm Marshall Ryan Maresca. I'm Cass Morris. I'm Rowena Miller, and this is episode 116, Choosing, Presuming, and Decision Fatigue. Welcome back, friends. We're, we're here again for for the first time in a long time. It's just the three of us. We haven't we haven't done that in a while. We had we had quite a run of amazing, incredible guests for for several months, <laughs> which was awesome. But that means we that means we didn't get much of a chance just the three of us just to chat like we like we get to do this time. And instead of introducing our beautiful wonderful guests and what they're doing for once we could talk about what we're doing we, we're we get doing to be our own theory. beautiful wonderful guests oh we get to be our own beautiful wonderful guests be and the beautiful wonderful guests that you want to see in the world so do you have any announcements do you have any exciting things coming up are you appearing somewhere did you did you show up on somebody else's podcast this will have been like a month ago by the time that this episode comes out, but I did get to do a very fun episode of um, The Women of Marvel, which is the official uh, podcast coming out of uh, Marvel Studios, and I got to talk all about my best girl, Rogue, um, because because one of my old high school friends runs that podcast. <laughs> so when they were doing the Rogue episode, they were like, hey, you know who we should get on? <laughs> my friend, you know, who's a lunatic. You know, <laughs> who I know. <laughs> So it was just fun. I just got I'm I'm in the very beginning of that episode, mostly just geeking out, and then they turn to the actual like expert people who have written Rogue, or they have like th- that episode has a psychologist in it who's like dissecting the psychology of Rogue, which was really cool. It was a really great episode, even the parts that I wasn't in, but I enjoyed the part that I was in. So that's I think that's about all I've got. This is November, so I'm in the middle of NaNoWriMo and desperately trying to make words happen. That's all I got. Yeah, desperately trying to make words happen has been my whole year um it's <laughs> it's I, I i'll be sending out my own update to or depending on when this comes out i'll have sent out an update to all my mailing list people and all that but it's 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 been a unproductive year in the Baresca household <laughs> but i will be putting out a new novelette the novelette yes i did the math right <laughs> um <laughs> at the beginning of december called the withered boy which is another story in the meridane saga universe that's off to the side somewhere else plus at the beginning of december i will be also reissuing the first four meridane books because the rights are back in my pocket so i have that coming Ooh. out marshall does that mean they're gonna be shiny new covers there's going to be shiny new covers. <gasps> I love shiny new covers. These will be uh, the, the trade paperback size as opposed to mass market size. Cause... And so if you've been waiting to get you know, trade paperback size of those books or just been waiting still to read the Meridane Saga at all, like this is, this is a great moment to jump in and read it. And then... When you join our Discord, you can find the people on our Discord who've also been reading the Meridane Saga and have been absolutely feral about it, which is just, <laughs> I can just tell you, it has brought me so much joy watching <laughs> watching this new batch of readers discovering it. It's been, it's been delightful, and that never gets old. I have nothing I'm allowed to actually talk about yet, so I've got wait, like wait, wait, the... But does that mean you have things you're not allowed to talk about? Secrets yeah. are exciting. But it's it's been that way for like months at this point that it's been the like you can say something soon. I'm like it it was April. Can we? Yeah. So uh, so they're, they're, publishing. They're, that's yeah. Pub- that, publishing that calls all some... time soon. It's like it will yeah. happen in this geologic era. So, maybe <laughs> bold to assume that bold bold, bold assumption. <laughs> So, it will probably so, so, yeah. happen before the heat death of the universe. <laughs> and if it doesn't, <laughs> well, you're worried about other things. So, I, I'm especially fascinated with the publishing industries. Like, let's not talk about it yet. Like, because because 
if we talk about it, then people might get excited and then want to like, you know, actually get right. And which why would we want makes that? No sense why would we? Ever why would we want, want to... that? Or like, if you talked about it now, then when we made another announcement, like maybe people would talk about it again. Like that seems like a win-win to me. But oh, okay, so, I mean, whatever. the only thing I can think of is that they're tired of having there be like Amazon listings and Goodreads ratings for books that do not exist yet and but that happens anyway probably never like, yeah will. <laughs> like they their, their, whole, their whole system of having arcs like just sets that entire process up to be the way it is no i'm not like, talking about like you know, a book that hasn't come out like, yet i'm talking about a book that, doesn't that even does exist, not yeah. exist but it's, it's like it's like people keep saying like well we could fix that on goodreads but it has to be published in order to make a review and it's like well but the whole system is based on not having things published and having reviews of them and the publishers chose this so right that's what uh, we have that's the system that's what you got you made it you have to work with it i'm talking about the books it's like this only exists on goodreads because the author made a blog post in 2007 right. and <laughs> or like wishful thinking on the part of the uh the readership like i'm sure the book must exist and someday somehow it has a thousand ratings and most of them are five stars and some of them are one star for it not existing <laughs> it's a fascinating yes. it's a fascinating world in business everybody we would love to tell you horror stories about it but we we would rather be optimistic and and yes. make you want to sit that, down and write and come that, up with things that, that's not this podcast i think if you want if you want the publishing horror stories and business nitty-gritty that will make you bite your nails down to the nubbins that way publishing rodeo i think is is producing some good content on that front publishing rodeo is good also check out ditch diggers with uh friends of the podcast former guest stars merle lafferty and matt wallace that's that's an excellent one if you want to dig into the horrors of being a working writer they've got you covered yeah i just discovered publishing rodeo and who boy that was well now yeah some of well it's just kind of like it's it's nice to have something to point people to that's like, this is saying the quiet part out loud that many of us don't want to say, but, you know, hey, world building. Nonetheless, <laughs> I'm excited that you have things that you can't talk about yet. Yes. And, uh, I'm so, excited for you. As soon as I can talk about them, I'm sure I won't shut up. So. <laughs> I mean, it. I think it says something, though, that like we, we look at the state of the industry and everything we know about the business and and yet and yet here we are still talking our world world building bullshit because you know there are still parts that make us happy there are still parts that make us happy though i can say i I, you know to go into you know what we're specifically talking about talking about you know all the world building decisions that we make and when that becomes too much and can freeze your brain up with like all of these different decisions i know at least for me a big part of that is tied to publishing bullshit and me thinking like is there a lot of value in you know doings like i'm making all these crazy wild choices for to make this really weird interesting world that the publishing industry is going to be like that's too weird kid yeah we don't we don't <laughs> we don't need that we just we just need england with the serial numbers filed off and horny fairies we don't want anything more complex than that <laughs> <laughs> but it's a fair question like in what ways like do you find yourself getting in your own way with decision making like is it mostly that is that like a primary one or i think that's a big one like i think you know when i was writing velocity i i took everything of choose versus presume to heart of like asking myself why am i making this choice what's the purpose and then in the work in progress I've been miring through over the course of this year, I had a lot of interesting world building choices that I think were getting in my way. And how much of that was, how much of that was, I have to make this an interesting world that's doing all sorts of different things. And is that really necessary? And how much of that was me just like tripping over my own feet, trying to like come up with, you know, approaching every single thing with like, well, I have to make a choice about this. I have to show why this world is different this way. And, and especially when 
some of those things had nothing to do with the story itself. So like when we're talking about like on ramping and how you're showing the world to your reader, how much of that were just like weird, you know, extremely flashy billboards on the on ramp that would do nothing but distract, and not actually get the story started. And I, I had reached the point with, with that one where I had written almost 40,000 words and like, so when's the plot gonna start anytime soon because it's just like more and more world introduction stuff and so yeah i think a big part of what i'm finding to be like choice paralysis and decision fatigue in my own process is based on like how much good am i doing myself here by constantly you know like coming up with weirder and wilder things is that serving me in a meaningful way in the storytelling I think one thing for me that I I run into sometimes is trying to make too many changes that have trouble like working with each other. Because for me, you know, like the choose and presume, I'm I'm usually starting from some kind of historical basis. And it's not always as tightly tied to real history as like the Avon cycle is to not even to the history of the Roman of Rome, but to it's society and stuff. But other projects, it's more like, okay, I'm taking an inspiration from a certain time and place, maybe blending it with another time and place, and then going from there. But then I'm, you know, I'm making changes. I'm interrogating each choice about, like, the government, about the concept of marriage, about the religion. And sometimes I think I try to change too many things just for the sake of changing things. <laughs> or... You know, because I feel like I ought to in some way. We've talked about this before when it comes to, like, the governments and the fact that there's a very anti-monarchial bend in fantasy readers right now. And it's like, but sometimes places were just monarchies. And the fact that I'm writing a monarchy doesn't doesn't mean that I support that in real life. Yeah. But sometimes... <laughs> I am, but sometimes I, I am not fat. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's what gives me the shape of the society for the shape of the story that I want to tell. And so sometimes I find myself trying to, like, be overly creative about some of those things. And it's like, you were at that point, I'm just getting my own way. Like, I'm writing a constitution. And it's like, this is not what I need to be doing. This is not getting me the story. <laughs> writing the constitution for this <laughs> imaginary world is, uh, that's a little overboard. That's a little, that's a little too much, maybe. <laughs> Do I need I feel like to make that different <laughs> choice? <laughs> really? And I feel like, too, there are sometimes that, like, in keeping some things less complex you open up space for the complexity in other mm. places and so it's like really hard sometimes to know like which spaces do I want to leave open for complexity versus which spaces do I want to kind of like shut down the fun in a way in order to like funnel that yeah it's hard it makes me think about something I talk about when I'm teaching a lot which is that boundaries are useful we, we think about this both when we're encouraging kids to like the way they have we have them play games like, the game is fun because there are rules, because there is a boundary in which the game happens. Even thinking about, you know, the kinds of writing that they do, it is helpful to have boundaries. Creativity can actually happen a lot within whatever shape you have set. And I think that can be true for, for us, too. If we set ourselves no boundaries and just go, anything goes, throw all the world building in, all the concepts, all the time, it gets too muddy. And I think that actually detracts from our ability to use that world to then tell an interesting story. Yeah, especially when you you know in a world or in a story you want to explore a particular thing. Like, I want to explore marriage, or I want to explore family dynamics, or I want to explore, like, governance and monarchies and anti-monarchies, or I want to explore the eco like economics and trade, like... It, you can't, you can't, even in a giant ass novel, explore everything with great depth. Because like I say, it gets muddy. Like it gets ugly and it's, it's confusing and it's complex. And one of the things when you're writing a novel, so much of it is thematic and that you are pulling out these themes that are threads that are getting like pulled through the whole story. You can only have so many of those. Like, I, I, I don't know if there's a number, there's no set number, but it's like, you know, you get six. That's how many you get. You have 75 here. You can't do that. You get six. And like, you kind of have to pare that down and be like, okay, so what do I actually like? What do I care about? What is the story actually about? What do I thematically want to spend my time and, and my, you know, attention on? Because I'm drawing the reader's attention to it. So if it's not, you know, at some point going to yield some kind of 
depth or resonance within the story, I made my reader get dragged <laughs> through it. And maybe they didn't want to, or they feel like this must be important if you dragged me through it. But no, no, you have six themes, you get six. And this was not one of them. What did you do to me? You know, Victor Hugo would disagree with you. He would. He would. <laughs> but people are not allowed to write like Victor Hugo anymore. No. We was cannot have 50-page trans- transcript. <laughs> was, he, was, he, was, was he serialized? I can't remember. Was he serialized? I don't remember. He, I don't maybe. know. I feel, I, feel like, I feel like when you're serialized, you get yeah. to get away with more rabbit trails. It's like and, a 50-page you know, digression. That, on... I am being paged by the word. Yeah. So yeah. here is here is 50 pages on farm equipment in Russia. <laughs> There's a detailed history of the Paris sewer systems. <laughs> right. Like, yes, the sewers are briefly a setting. Sure. Did I need However, the entire history? No, no, I did not, Victor Hugo. <laughs> right. But he felt that you did. Yeah, I, I feel like there is also, you know, not that audiences in the 19th century and other eras did not have options, which they did have options. But readers have a lot more options today. Like there is there is no one making them read your 50 page digression on sewers. They can put it down. They're allowed. So like I, I do feel a certain like, you know, level of respect for my reader that I am not guaranteed them. They are not my right as a writer. Like I have to earn their their, you know, continued investment in my book. So as much as I might want to give someone a 50-page digression into the history of the Paris sewers, which would be sort of related to what I'm writing, but only tangentially. Ooh, maybe I should fit that in somehow. Note to self. Okay, anyway. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, I, I feel I feel that I, I owe it to my reader to be judicious in what I choose to include. But I mean, that also ties into like, we've talked before, but like, you know, if that person didn't like that, then they're not your reader. But to a degree, you know, you have to you have to do that calculus of it's like I, I have now whittled it down to my reader is, you know, three people. And, yeah, and, I, and, and I am one of them. And I'm one of them. They're in this room. Yeah. Um, yeah, we call that academia, not fiction publishing. Yes. yes. When you write something, you know, only three people are going to read. That's academia. Yes. Which has its place, but not in, not necessarily in, in fiction publishing. It's not commercial. And... It's not. <laughs> it's not. No. 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 But yeah, I feel like, and that's like a really foundational decision too. Like it doesn't, it, it may not feel like one. Like it might be something that you think about before you start writing. Maybe I should. <laughs> Maybe the lesson. But like, what are those important things? Like it's kind of foundational, right? Because those things that aren't important are the ones that you're like, okay, well, Maybe my brain does not need to expend quite as much energy on it. Maybe. Maybe I can give myself permission to focus my energies on something that, that is more tightly correlated to what I actually want to write about. Well, I think a big thing is, you know, looking at what your what your core story is going to be. And then once you have that focusing on the world building choices that serve that story as opposed to the ones that are just like set dressing and fiddly bits which are tons of fun and you know i love doing them but if you do too many of them then you're like distracting yourself or or just creating you know more trouble than it's worth and possibly alienating potential readers or just sending yourself off down some weird tangential rabbit hole that has nothing to do with the story you thought you were trying to tell and I think too, like, you know, one of the things that I find like sort of intimidating starting a new story and doing the world building is once I make one decision, it limits the other decisions, right? Like I have to make other decisions that will fit with that decision. If I decide that this is a system of elected governance that has implications on all these other spaces. If I decide that gender is going to work this way, it has implications in all these other spaces. So you have to know what's important to your story to start making decisions before you like write yourself into some kind of a corner where the decision I actually really needed to make for this story to sing is one that I wrote out for myself because I made <laughs> some dumb choice yeah. earlier about something that doesn't really matter. And I, I find at least where my head currently is right now, I find the choices that I'm making along those lines tend to be about 
like relationships and gender just because there's a part of my brain who that's always going like do something more interesting than just like something you know basic and heteronormative and therefore i just create this wild thing it's like this has nothing to do with the story you're telling like (laughs) there's there there's no need for you to have this whole thing on what the sex culture of this world is when none of your characters are having any sex right now (laughs) (laughs) do you ever like find though that sometimes you realize you like didn't make a world building decision or you didn't explore it for you're like, oh, wait, that actually does belong in my story. I actually do need to include that in there. Like, has that ever happened to you? See, for me, it's always the opposite. It's the like, <laughs> now I've become so focused on this other thing that's nothing to do with this. Like in, in the work in progress I was doing, I all I really wanted was that my four main characters are kind of broke. And so they just have one apartment with one bed that they all sleep in. And it's two men and two women. And then it's just, they just sleep in the same bed because it's a bed. they're broke and it's a bed. And they don't, and I wanted to express that as sort of like a cultural norm that like, that's not a big deal. So like there's, there's only one bed, but it's not a trope. There's just yeah. one bed. <laughs> there's just one bed. And these people are tired. <laughs> <laughs> And I came up with this whole thing of, like, in the culture, like, the bedroom is not the place for sex. They they have a completely different room, and there's a whole other culture. And I start going on these, all these other tangents to explain this, just to, like, separate that reader presumption of, well, that's what you do in a bed. And this story has nothing to do with that. <laughs> I just want them to be broke. <laughs> And made my life so much more complex, and and I ended up in these weird digressions about that. In the final draft of this work, Marshall <laughs> throws out the bed, and they all just sleep in a blanket on the floor. Right. <laughs> they can't they have, even they, afford a bed. They have hammocks instead. That's what we end up with. <laughs> it's like, damn it, the bed thing. But it's little things like that where you come up with some i mean where you come up with something that you know is going to challenge your readers perceptions or preconceptions of like how things are supposed to be like if you have two people in a bed together odds are there's sexy times happening even if that's not necessarily what <laughs> but that's at least the presumption that they're walking in the door with and you have to retrain them to do about that and if your story is not explicitly some sort of romance story or such where that's pertinent to the plot. If that's, you know, and that does, you don't necessarily need, like you can only have, you know, romance elements be if they're pertinent to the plot. Cause going down that path just brings you to terribleness. <laughs> um, it's like you can, you, you things, not everything needs to be plot relevant, but at the same time, if it's just these weird digressions that go nowhere also, where you also have to train your reader with different different uh, preconceptions, then you're just creating more and more trouble for it. I mean, this is an example where I can think, I think it was, I want to say it's Jennifer Armentrout series. I'm not 100% sure. But she spends like four books, like telling the reader that, that like uh, thruples are like, a social norm in this in this fantasy world like like this is a thing that happens people get married in groups of three it's gonna be a thruple it's gonna be a thruple and then at the end when like it's a thruple people are like what the fuck i didn't think that this would end up as a thruple this ruins <laughs> <laughs> this ruins everything because i have in my head the preconception of happily ever after between two people and you've just thrown that away by making it's like i told you the whole time i was training you i was training you the whole way <laughs> and you still didn't listen and i think i think that is part of it when you're making choices that are going to go so against the grain of what your audience preconceptions are that and then making all the choices that are the domino cascade from there like if that's not explicitly what your story is about how much how much trouble are you setting yourself up for and how much you then like expending brain energy making those further domino choices instead of just writing the story or building the world and are there some things that are so far from 
your readers' perceived cultural norms that no matter how gentle and and loving <laughs> the on-ramp is, they're still going to get to the top of the hill and be like, wait, what? You brought me to the top of this hill. I thought we were going to a diner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were signs all the, like, you didn't see the... Okay. Oh. No. <laughs> so when you guys are making decisions for yourselves, are there particular... I guess, elements of world building that you find yourselves getting snagged on more often than others or that the decision feels more overwhelming than others or that you like trip yourself up on and you're like, I just can't, I just can't make these choices right now. For me, I think it's been sort of the interplay between a couple of world building choices, like the choices in itself, I was okay making but then it touches another sector of world building and all of a sudden it's like, wait, fuck, what did I do? The the Shakespearean-inspired one that I've been trying to write for as long as I've been on this podcast, I think, had that because I wanted it to be a queer norm world. I wanted there to be a different idea of what marriage means and essentially like different kinds of marriage based on whether it's romantic, purely for procreation, purely for business matters, and it can be... You can have a marriage that's two or three of those things, but that they're like different legal, they're, they're different legal constructions. And that was okay. That was an okay idea to play with. But then it ran into a problem with some things I had established both like in the religion and in the class structure, the social structure. And all of a sudden I was having to come up with reasons why like certain marital unions wouldn't be acceptable in order for my plot to work the way I wanted it to. And then it was like, dang, I have set up, <laughs> I have set up too many opposing forces. And it's like, these things don't make sense together. And I think that's usually my biggest problem is like, it's not mm -hmm. one individual world building choice. It's when I want to make a few different choices and they, they don't play nicely together. They don't make sense together. It doesn't make sense that a society would have developed in that way. You know, like if A, then probably not B because... A tends to imply, that, like, yeah. Certain... The cohesion between the two things. Yeah, like... yeah. And I feel like that's that's just one example. I feel like that is most often where I'm likely to get tripped up in world building. It's happened a couple of times. So there's just too much friction between two ideas that I want to use. And then it becomes a question of like, okay, can I find the way to bring these together in harmony or do I need to drop one of them? And if I drop one of them, what do I do instead? I have found recently that sometimes if I am resisting setting up the parameters on some element of the world, like whether it's, you know, whatever it is, how the economy works, how governance works, how a magic system works. It's, it's that something like either I am intrinsically bored by something about that idea and that's not a good sign. <laughs> and like, I need to revisit something about it and be like, okay, what is it about this? It's just not, it's just not doing it for me. Um, or there's something inherently borked about the idea like, it's just not quite like there's some, it's, there's a hole there and I, and I sense the hole. And so I don't want to like poke at it too much because then I will expose the hole. And once the hole is exposed, I'm going to have to fix it. And I don't know if I want to fix it. So I've started to recognize sometimes some of my like decision paralysis is not that there's anything about like the actual choice itself. It's that making the choice will make more work for me. And I'm like trying to protect myself from that. <laughs> and I can't do that. Like I have to actually uncover the hole, you know, find where the problem is and actually like, you know, do the work to make it work correctly. But then I'm like, oh. so sometimes that decision fatigue is it's, it's, yeah, it's a symptom, not a cause in and of itself. That makes sense. Because like, if, I, if you I, know you're flicking a domino, then it's like, oh, but it's going to hit all these other All dominoes. these other things. <laughs> and then I'll have to set them all back up. Oh, no. Yeah. And like, and if I, if I know that I have to figure out how this is going to work, and like, I have to figure out the minutia of how this is going to work, in order for my characters to interact with it, right? Like, if I want someone to go to the store and buy the magic nitwit, I have to be able to like set up the system for the magic nitwit to be produced, end up at the store and have a pricing system around the magical nitwit. But once I'm like doing all those things, I realize that the nitwit didn't even make sense to begin with. <laughs> so, okay. 
that leaves me in a bit of a pickle and I have to figure out how to fix that. So it's like, it's a world building problem, but it's also like a plot intrinsic world building problem. See, I, I often end up with that when I'm first starting something on a plot and character level rather than necessarily a world building level where I'll like come up with my cast of characters of like this person, this person, this person. And then as I get like a third of the way through the text, I realize that there's some character who serves no purpose whatsoever. <laughs> and, and my idea of like why I needed this character just does not exist at all. And yeah. it's like, Oh, okay, let's just, let's just remove them. Or I've, you know, served this function with somebody else. So I will have, at least in the initial phase, sort of like extraneous bits that I'm just like, oh. And earlier when, you know, in one of my trunk novels, I then like tried to like hammer that back into the plot of like, no, I'm going to make all these characters important and yeah. give them <laughs> give them a thread. And like, no, that didn't work at all. But it was, you know, silver metal try there with that yeah. one. But, <laughs> but I think it's the same sort of thing where you make this decision without thinking about oh wait like this is this is going to become a problem later down the line um i remember reading a novel way back when in in the group i'm not gonna like call out the person who wrote this novel or anything but they this is one actually one of the first times i had seen somebody write uh, an explicitly queer norm world in so in the world like everyone was bisexual and there was like no sexual jealousy between any of the characters i was like that's really cool but then a plot point hinged on someone's wife being unfaithful and and thus the child in question was a bastard and i'm like that doesn't work with this, you know, with this, how the sex behavior of the society works. So why, like... Why did that matter? How, why did that matter? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you've already established that nobody cares about it, but which I found an interesting thing of, like, we have certain concepts so embedded in our heads that it's so hard to get around them, even when you're doing the world building to be something different and i i wonder how much of decision fatigue comes from trying to push things in a direction where society tends not to go and didn't go for a reason and you're like i'm gonna choose to do something different which is cool but then you choose five different things that don't have anything to do with each other and make everything just you know pull the hole apart as it were i think it's sometimes a problem for me too that there are some parts of worlds that i find more interesting than others there is, is that too pro probably everyone <laughs> has those things that they find some things more interesting than others so like i could probably spend all day thinking about like the flora and fauna of like some little corner of my world or like social norms surrounding like meal preparation and service or something like this but if you want me to like hash out an economy like do i have to <laughs> money's so dumb money's dumb <laughs> so and dumb. like oh and then like i frankly i don't understand how like investing and in stuff even works like in the real world and i like do i <laughs> do i have to actually do it for like a made-up world too and like, yes, in some ways you can just avoid doing those things by building certain kinds of worlds. But often, no, what you've already set up in terms of the world implies a certain like way that people think about money or a way that they think about assets or whatever your thing is. You know, mm -hmm. if it's like technology, like the way they think about technology and the way that that interacts with their lives or the way they think about relationships or the way they think about you know, whatever education, like whatever your thing is that like, you really don't like, I don't understand this well enough. I don't enjoy thinking about it. Like it, sometimes it's unavoidable that you have to at least touch it a little bit. Like, and believe me, I, I, I can go out of my way to avoid bringing up people paying for things, but at some point <laughs> someone has to like, you know, buy the magical nitwit and then they have to have, the appropriate money and maybe they have to have exact change. I don't know, but I had to have figured out how that works. And I'm like, Oh, I don't want to. 
And then you have to give a price for one thing and then you give a price for another thing or how much yeah. a certain job paid. And then like, do those things work with each other? And Right. And you, you feel like you're writing the equivalent of like, it's one banana, Michael. How much could it cost? $10? <laughs> exactly. And I feel like these are the kinds of things that actually readers, like a, a keen-eyed reader is going to catch faster than I will. And they're like, how come it was one copper coin for a meat pie, but then it was like three copper coins for like an onion? Why is that? Like, I don't fucking no it's just <laughs> really good onion like yeah like, leave me alone <laughs> i don't know why you kind of want to be like well you have to understand that the onions are not grown locally in this province it is grown, <laughs> <laughs> and then they have to be shipped and then they lose like half of it to rot in the cargo bay and <laughs> so yeah it's you know and I, I could but deep down the reason is because i didn't want to because the amount of mental energy it would take to figure that out was like equivalent to an entire plot arc for me. Like, <laughs> and yeah, I think then it's perfectly fine to hand wave something. Like she paid for it. With what? Who cares? Why? Why do you want to know? Like, you don't need to know. Things she paid for it that existed. <laughs> she engaged in the socially acceptable form of tr- of commerce. <laughs> Yeah, that's like, paid with money? I don't know. <laughs> Goods and services were exchanged in some fashion. See, now I want to create a world in which, like, th- there is no money and somehow, like, everyone just operates on the system of charity that you just, like, give people what they ask for. And, like, that would, obviously, that's a tentpole, like, choice right there. Because then everything is going to flow out of that decision. But, I'm like, it was just to avoid having to figure out currency, Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, currency, I feel it's one you can dodge a lot of the time just by saying, like, hand it over some coins, you know, pay the, you, you can, you can yada yes, yada. But, but why the coins, Marshall? Why coins? Why are they still using a coin based system? Would they have moved to a paper based system? Do they have a gold standard or do they do something else? <laughs> Twitch. The metal is why Twitch. I don't, why I don't like thinking about Twitch. it because it's like, that's one of those things, again, too, where, like, you feel like you should make an interesting choice, not just presume, you know, gold, silver, copper, or gold, silver, bronze, or whatever. Except there's a very good reason <laughs> that those yeah. are the metals yeah. most like, commonly used for coinage. Like, there's a, there, are, there are literal geologic reasons for that. <laughs> and so if you want to pull that apart like, and make it some other metal, you are pulling apart the actual tectonic structure of your planet. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that's too much. I can't. You're making go that the periodic table of the elements work differently. Yeah, right. Just like, for like, like if you you just made gold the most common metal to make coins out of. Well, here's the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not to do another round of Marshall yells about the Belgariad, but there's a whole thing. <laughs> Didn't we have a there's drinking a whole... game with this at one point? Yeah. We probably do. So 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 line them up, listeners. There's a whole thing about how like the Murgos, who are like the bad guy nation like are paying people in red gold like and it's murgo red gold it's like what makes it red if it's like is it red or is it gold (laughs) which is is it are you just stained like what are you just calling it red gold they're calling it red gold and like but like is it just a name or is it actually red that it's actually red because okay. it's recognizable. But see, then here's the to like talk about like how the economy of it works is like everybody knows this is Murgo red gold, and then the fact that people have it is like oh, this is proof that you have been bought off by the Murgos. But it's like either this stuff is just in the economy and people have it. Because it's in the economy, right. or it's worthless, and why did you accept right. it as payment? So like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's like he's got all this Murgo red gold. It's like, but if nobody else in the country would accept like, this is it as not currency, legal tender? why was like, yeah? <laughs> it's like if merely having it is oh, this is proof that you've been bought out by the by the Murgos. Why did you take it? Because. <laughs> All it all yeah, it is but, is just what else evidence you use it for? <laughs> rather than rather than wealth and like, and <laughs> well, well how would you like your payment in currency or condemning evidence I'll take condemning evidence please I'm gonna keep it I'm in my just... house let's go pull it under my bed I can't do anything with it 
Like, it, it is the idea that merely having the gold is good it's enough as opposed to something you could spend. Right. <laughs> well, and like, can red gold be turned back into another kind of gold? Like, could it be useful in that uh, way? Can it be cleansed? Like, <laughs> it's not. It's not clear what makes other than like. And other than the Murkos just have tons of it because they have the bottomless mind, which then means well, but for if them, it's a bottomless mind, it's then it's worthless. <laughs> <laughs> it's as if they only know these fools in the West will just take this stuff <laughs> and think it's worth it. <laughs> which case, you know, points for them yeah. for like figuring that one out. Okay, so maybe I care more about currency than I thought I did. <laughs> But you don't want to care, and that's the important no, thing. No, I don't. And you made me care. Damn it, Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> but see, you... I mean, I think it's perfectly valid to have, like, whole sections of society that you're like, this is just not my my zone, and I'm not talking about it at all. You can have whole aspects of society that you don't care to talk about, and thus don't really play a factor in your novel at all, as long as you have enough of a thing... You know, in terms of the amount that you use it, like if you just say like, well, they just paid them and, you know, they got paid for the job and it was enough or they got short change or something like you don't need to. You just need the emotional level. You don't need you don't need the math. But as long as I mean, like when we were talking with Sean as long as it makes sense on a base logical level and beyond that, you don't you know, it's fine. The funny thing, like, I mean, I read The Belgarian when I was a teenager, and that never occurred to me reading through it of, like, that doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of, <laughs> in terms of why, are you, why are you accepting this for goods and services? <laughs> but it was only thinking about it. So I think, I mean, that's the other factor, is the things that we agonize over, 95% of the readers are just going to be like, yeah, okay, money, sure. <laughs> it was coins which again leads to that same sort of decision paralysis of like why i mean we we joke about this every episode why do we do this to ourselves especially when a large portion of the readership will just be like yeah okay sure they have coins like why you know there's only that very tiny percent like ugh. Another fantasy novel with gold coins. Yeah, but <laughs> that's the person that's going to go leave a nasty Goodreads review. And, like, that's, that's part of why we do it, is to try to avoid the nitpickers. And Dear potential audience, I did not write currency into my book. Leave me a nasty Goodreads review if you want. But I'm not dealing with it. I mean, on the same level, that same those same people who leave the Nazi Goodreads review, like they'll say something like, "There's not much world building," but what are they thinking of when they say world yeah. building? Because it's a completely different thing to them than it is to to somebody else of what they mean when they say world building. Like a lot of times, they mean there is not lore that I can then use in my RPG. <laughs> but, yeah, the difference between world building and lore is like. It gets muddy, I think, sometimes, but those are those are different yeah. different things. Right. Or I think sometimes even for some readers, if I'm being especially uncharitable, there wasn't much world building as it wasn't what I wanted to read about. Yeah. You know, it didn't have like what I really care about is economies and trade and this mostly had religion and family structure and i didn't even notice that because i just skimmed right over it and what i you know which in some ways is fair this wasn't the book i wanted to read i thought i was getting into something and it was not what i anticipated fair but that doesn't mean there wasn't world building it just wasn't the world building that you seek out and look for and enjoy if you seek out, look for, and enjoy currency in your world building, you can probably skip my books. I'm just going to say that right now. But at the same time, like, I want that fantasy writer who is going to write, like, like the fantasy version of Wolf of Wall Street. And that it's, you know, yeah. that it's entirely <laughs> about currency I, and trade. I want that for you, whoever you are. I want that for you. I feel like one of the things we've we've touched on in a couple different ways is that some of the, the decision paralysis comes from expectations that exist yeah. outside of ourselves. Um, and that some of those are like unavoidable. Obviously, we're writing for an audience, so we have to consider an audience. But some of it is also maybe sometimes giving too much power to the wrong entity. 
Yeah, that's you know if you're if you're spending your mental energy, and Lord knows I've done this, you know, just trying to second guess what assholes are going to do, <laughs> <laughs> or what they're going to think. Yeah. That'll keep you you're busy all drive day. Drive yourself crazy. <laughs> That'll keep you. <laughs> I mean, it's like that joke about you. It's like you can tell when somebody is just so chronically online when they like write something with like nine caveats of like arguments that no sane person would make. Would just ever to like, make. <laughs> just to like counterpoints. Like I'm not talking about this particular edge case because like you've already trained your brain to be like somebody in that edge case is going to be like yes, but what about right? <laughs> you're you're anticipating the reply guys. Yeah. Yes. Like the, the- the Twitter replies that are like, that's reading a lot into what I did not say at all. <laughs> like, You chose to have an argument with the thing you imagined I said. Right. But if you look back, you'll notice that I used no, none no of those words. No. <laughs> and I think on a world building level, I've caught myself doing the same thing of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. creating, creating the counter argument to the thing that most people aren't even going to bring up like like again the fact that my four poor people are just sharing a bed because they're tired and there's one bed <laughs> like i didn't need to like create a whole like subculture thing of how hookups work in the world just because <laughs> just because people were like yeah it's one apartment one bed and they're clearly just sleeping there like, like we get it i don't know about you Cass, but when you are writing anything like inspired by history or related to history, do you find yourself hitting points of of fatigue or even paralysis in terms of like, how far can I deviate from this thing? Like if I can't find an answer to this question, like how much can I just make up Mm -hmm. and it's okay. Like, because logically I'm like, it's fantasy. So you can make up whatever the hell you want, but there's an element of for my own personal, like, you know, how I wanted to do it or how I wanted to go about it. Like I want the right answer to this question or I want to like, you know, represent this the way it really was and and the perhaps less healthy, there will be that person in the comments going, well, actually, if you think <laughs> You know the history of how the trebuchet was used in warfare. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, let's try wheeling it right outside your house and seeing how it works. <laughs> what do you think? Experiment. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I'm... I don't know, I'm struggling to think of an exact example right now, but I know it's happened. I think with a lot of, like, religious stuff in Rome, because they had a lot of it. And some of it's well-documented, and some of it is not. And some of it might be documented, but we don't know why they did it this way, because they didn't know why they did it this way. (laughs) Or at least by the time they got to Ovid, no one remembered any longer why they did it this way. That's like... Like If if somebody knew, they didn't tell anybody. Straight up, (laughs) Ovid's Fasti is... Uh, I wish he'd finished it because he only got through half the year, but he basically went through the, like, he was going month by month talking about all the religious festivals and things. And, like, if he knew the origins of it, he shared those. But there are more than one where he's like, we're not sure why we do this. We're going to keep doing it because we don't want to piss the gods off. Some people think this. Some people think this. We're not sure, really. (laughs) It's like, that's a fantastic approach to religion great that's thank you for acknowledging yeah (laughs) the situation we have no idea why we still do this so yeah sometimes like if i couldn't find the answer sometimes i would just be like well maybe by my character's time they had also forgotten (laughs) this thing they don't know why they do it they just do it it's fine which is incredibly valid like in terms of like that's that's real that's how people actually are but somehow when you're in fiction you feel you need to like be like well actually oh i do have one good example that's right like um with the lemuria the rites as they are written down and as we know them involved not just the pater familias like going around his house casting beans behind him because the beans obviously would ward off evil spirits but like the whole family was supposed to be banging pots and pans during this and i'm sitting there thinking Surely not. <laughs> in a city of eventually a million people, but even early on hundreds of thousands of people, there's just no way. <laughs> there's no way everyone was still doing that. Everyone in the city doing that on these nights. And so I made the executive decision. It's like, they, they don't. They did once. And I'll even, I'll even mention, and to, to get ahead of that reply guy who's like, well, the Lemuria ritual actually involves, like, 
Yeah, at least in my version of history, they did. They used to do that in the olden days, but no one does it anymore. It's a custom that's fallen it's, by the wayside. It's just tacky now. It's, yeah, it's much too loud. So tacky. It's much, much too loud. No one needs that. <laughs> are you still banging pots and pans? Like, what do you think this is? But yeah, that's that's fair. That's a fair decision. So how do we avoid fatigue? What's Is there a balance between shoes and presume, <laughs> a balance between, like, which dominoes you flip over first? Like, what helps you to keep yourself, like balanced and healthy with your approach to your world building choices part of me is about to asking the wrong people (laughs) i mean but i think i think the big thing at least the thing i've been trying to give myself the grace to do even though i'm having a hard time with it is to tell myself it's okay to presume these things like there's there can be good reasons as much as we you know talk the gospel of choose over presume presumptions has some very good reasons behind them <laughs> and and just because you're choosing something simpler doesn't mean it's not a choice right, right. yeah choosing simplicity is not just assuming and presuming choosing simplicity is choosing simplicity yeah i think that the choose doesn't necessarily mean you have to be inventing right the choose doesn't mean you have to be choosing right. something weird you can be choosing the status quo what we hope people do is at least interrogate that choice you know like make sure you're making it consciously and yeah very often you will look at a construct and be like there's a reason that a society shaped itself this way there is a reason that this is a structure people chose to gather and to live in there's reasons for that and it's okay if those reasons also exist in my world because my (laughs) my people are people and they're gonna people in some of the same ways that our people people right that was a good sentence yeah (laughs) that was that was a good actually was a very good sentence I liked it a lot. And yeah, the the sometimes it is just the act of reminding myself that that some of the things that are presumptions existed for a very good reason because people are people. We shouldn't necessarily do this to ourselves the way we <laughs> the way we do. And it's okay to not do it to ourselves sometimes. I feel like for me coming back to like the heart of the story <laughs> is helpful too or the heart of why you're doing it yeah. if you're if you're creating a game, if you're you know, whatever it is that you're doing, what's the purpose? So what do you need to identify first? And then once you do start flipping over some dominoes, like others are going to fall and that's okay. You don't have to like fight everyone. There doesn't have to be tension in every choice. You can make some dominant choices and then like let the chips fall where they may and play with that. And, you know, if you hit a point that you're like, this is not fun, you can be like, you know what? (laughs) It's also not necessary and I can put a pin in it and that's okay. Hi you! Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, links to all of that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochists.podbeam.com. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter and Blue Sky as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.